the, through December, through the season of Advent, we've been talking about different names of Jesus. Jesus the light, Jesus the shepherd, Jesus the king of kings. And this morning, we're talking about Jesus, the promise. The promise that is given to each person, to all of humanity, the promise of God's presence among us, the promise of God's active working for humanity, and the promise that we see in the scriptures and in the life and the teaching of Jesus that is then fulfilled for us, the promise of eternal life. Promises are funny things. People use promises for all kinds of reasons. Uh, we, it, earlier this uh, fall, we had an election, and we had our politicians in our communities promising us all kinds of things. What they were trying to do is they're trying to gain our trust, right? Look, if you trust me with this power to govern, if you trust me to be in this position, I will do these things for you. And so uh, we listen to the promises that these, these politicians give us, and we, I, I don't know if you're like me, my eyebrows are a little raised, my brow is a little furrowed. You promise to fix all of the problems that the previous government didn't fix because you have a magical solution of some kind that some magical source of resources and revenue that's now going to solve all of these different issues that we have. Um, but they were trying to use their promise of change, the promise of progress, the promise of reliability to get you to give them your trust. They're using the promise for something. There's another kind of use of promises, and this is something that I would hear regularly from my children, and that's when there's things that were supposed to be done and haven't yet been done, and I say to them, Children, my dear beautiful children, <laughs> you know that today is your day to do this thing. I promise you I will. I just need to do this first. I promise. I promise. That's not so much about trying to gain my trust. But it's trying to reassure me, yes, yes, I know what is supposed to be. Yes, I will get to it. I will do what I said. Eventually, maybe, if something else doesn't come up and my friends don't call. They're using this promise to get out of the moment that they're in. That moment of crisis when, you know, the authority figure, the, the, the accountability is coming. And it's, if I can give you a promise, I can maybe get out from under this uncomfortable place that I'm in. And let me just say, I use the example of my children because that's a safe example. But you and I all too often do similar things. When we're in difficult moments, when we are in places where we realize that we have not met our commitments, we will make all kinds of promises so that we can get out from under that moment. 
But there's another way of looking at promises. And this is the way that I would suggest that we are using the word promise as it relates to Jesus. And that is a promise is a declaration of intent. This is what will happen. You can't see it yet. There's nothing that you can do to make it happen, but it will. Hear my words and know that they are true. There is a promise given to you, a promise that will be fulfilled. Jesus, the Messiah, the promised one of God, as he is born in a manger, as he lives and teaches and walks among us, as he dies and rises again, is a fulfillment of a promise given to all of humanity. A declaration of God that says, I am for you. I love you. You are my children. Come and walk with me. Live according to my ways and let me bless you. Promise is fulfilled. Throughout the Old Testament, we have the words of the prophets, those who have heard the voice of God and shared that voice, shared that message with the people of God. There are promises of all kinds. Promises that if they do not change the path that they are on, that the things that will come will be terrible because they have turned away. There are promises of if you turn your hearts to God, if you walk with him and walk according to his word, the blessings will pour out upon you and your life and the generations to follow. And then there are these promises, the declaration that I will send my anointed one. I will send another king to rule over you, a king that is different than all the other kings, as we talked about just a few days ago. Throughout the Old Testament, there are more than 300 prophecies about the Messiah, the one that is coming And in Jesus, we see those prophecies, those promises of God being fulfilled. You know, as as I was doing some some preparation for this, you know, you type into Google, uh, just give me some articles or things on the promises that are fulfilled by the Messiah. People are having a real problem deciding how many prophecies actually have been fulfilled through Jesus. One website said, oh, there were 44 biblical promises that Jesus fulfills. And another one said, no, there's more than 400. So I'm not quite sure where that extra zero comes in. But what we know and what we see in the person of Jesus, this baby born in a manger, is that the promises that God has given to humanity are fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. The promises of Isaiah 53, 
the promises of Isaiah 9, the promises of Micah. God fulfills his promises. This morning we read the passage in which we hear of the story of the Magi, the wise men who come and worship Jesus, this king that is born. How is it that they know that they are to do this? It's because they have been watching the signs in the, in the stars. They see in the world around them that something tremendous has happened, something beautiful and world-changing, and so they follow a star to find this child that is born so that they may worship. They recognize that God, the creator of this world, the creator of humanity, is up to something and they need to be a part of it. So let's do a little bit of a trivia test here, okay? You ready for a quiz? It's the last day of the year, so let's see if we can do a little quiz here, okay? So, can somebody name one of the gifts that the Magi bring? Right here. Frankincense. Frankincense, that's right. And then somebody else, can you name another one? Gold. And a third one? And a fourth one? All kinds of other things. All kinds of other things. Now, the text specifically mentions these three things, gold and frankincense and myrrh. But have you realized and recognized that there is something far more significant than the gold, frankincense, and myrrh that these wise men bring? What is it that they bring? They bring themselves. They come to worship this king that is born, this fulfillment of God's promise to humanity. They come bearing gifts, but their presence is the most important gift of all. The three gifts that are given have been interpreted in different ways throughout the centuries. Generally, we recognize them in this way, that gold represents all that is valuable, the treasures of our lives. It is also customary when going to give fealty, to kneel before someone who is your ruler, to give gifts of value and worth. And that is what these wise men do. They bring gold, the treasures of our lives that we live in, this world that we live in. The second, the frankincense, is an element used in worship, the clouds of incense that are part of worship and represent the prayers and the worship of the people of a God. The third gift, the myrrh, is a spice used for embalming the dead and represents death. And in this case, and it was as we understand the larger story, it represents the sacrifice of one's life. 
these meanings date back all the way to the beginnings of the church. Origen, one of the early leaders of the church, speaks of these as gold as to a king, myrrh as to one who is mortal, and incense as one for who is a god. In the songs that we sing, we recognize the meanings of these gifts. Did we sing it this year, We Three Kings? I don't remember if we did or not. I don't know if we sang it here. I'm pretty sure I sang it at some point over this Advent Christmas season. But there's a line in that song that says, This glorious now behold him rise, King and God and sacrifice. God has declared, this is what I will do for my people. This is what I will do to rescue, to save a humanity that is broken and lost in their sin, to bring hope and light and life and eternal salvation to my people. And so he fulfills that promise in Jesus. The question we ask is like the wise men of long ago. What gifts do we bring? Will we bring the treasures of our lives, all that we count as valuable and meaningful and purposeful in our lives and lay them at the feet of Jesus for him to direct, and to use? Will we bring the worship of our hearts and our lives and offer him ourselves in praise, in service, as disciples and children of God? And will we accept and acknowledge the sacrifice of Jesus the one who makes a way so that we may be reconciled to God. And as a continuation and a living out of that sacrifice of Christ, will we too lay down our lives as a sacrifice for the kingdom of God so that he may be glorified in all things. Jesus is the king that fulfills all of the promises of God. How will we acknowledge this? N.T. Wright in his book called How God Became King says the fact that the cross is a kingdom bringing event doesn't mean that it isn't still an act of horrible and brutal injustice on the one hand and powerful rescuing divine love on the other. He says the two meanings are brought into a dramatic but shocking permanent relationship. Both the injustice of the cross and the powerful rescuing love that is the promise of God for humanity. This is how God becomes king. And if this is how God becomes king, then what is the moment of the enthronement of Jesus? N.T. Wright goes on to say this, if the cross 
is interpreted as the coming of the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, then the four Gospels leave us with an application of the cross, not in how to have our sins forgiven and how to get to heaven, but in an agenda in which forgiven people, the king's people, are put to work addressing the evils of the world in the light of the victory of Calvary. If this is when God is enthroned as king on the cross, what does it mean for us who call him king and serve him as Lord? You know, it's interesting. One of the things that happens in the, the story of the cross is that just ahead of Jesus' crucifixion, James and John are having a conversation with Jesus. And they say to him, Lord, when you enter into your kingdom, may we sit at your right and left hand. They are imagining a kingdom that perhaps is outside of their full understanding. Jesus' answer in Mark chapter 10, verse 40, is very interesting. He basically says, it's not up to me who will sit at my right and left hand. In fact, it's already been assigned. Who has been assigned to sit at the right hand and left hand of Jesus when he enters into his kingdom? Do you remember if the moment of crucifixion is the enthronement of Jesus? There is already one to his right and to his left. Those upon the cross with him at the moment that he is enthroned. The temple in the Old Testament is where heaven and earth meet. And the Holy of Holies is the throne room where God dwells. But now there is a new temple where Christ is enthroned. A new place where his kingdom is enacted. A living temple which is the people of God. And the people of God are part of that promise that God has for our world. Jesus, the promise promises to come again. Jesus promises to come as a source of hope for us, a reassurance. He is asking for our trust. But it is more than that. It is a declaration of what will happen that we may have confidence in. And so we know that as we worship him, with our treasures and with our worship and with our lives, we have something that is worth giving everything for. An invitation to enter into the kingdom of God and a call to live into the promises that we have received and we carry with us wherever we go. May we too live as people worthy of the promise that God has given to us. As we head into the new year, we're going to be entering into the gospel of Matthew. 
and hearing from the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount as Jesus describes what this kind of kingdom looks like in our lives, in our world, and for all of humanity. Let us celebrate Jesus, our promise.